This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Hoping to hear, hoping to be able to connect with Dave Grenning from the Daily Racing Forum. Oh, and I'm told that he is on the line Dave Grenig, uh, columnist and handicapper for the DRF, here with us on CBS Sports Radio. Dave, how was your day yesterday at Belmont Park? Uh, it was pretty good. Would have been a lot better if uh, the rail was a little livelier, maybe, and I could have got in, uh, Hot Rod Charlie home. But uh, for the most part, it was it was a, a really good day. Uh, good to see people and hear people and feel people in the uh, in the grandstand again, and you know, felt like a real racetrack again. Beautiful weather. What? A little hot, but it was just nice to have some buzz in the building. Exactly. What uh, did they list the attendance at? 11,228, I believe. I think that was actual fans. Uh, I think if you added owners and maybe horsemen, it might have been, you know, maybe closer to 14, you know, 13, 14,000. All right. Um, and it sounded pretty good on TV. You were there, so you could judge a heck of a lot better. I know you've been there on the 100,000-plus days, like when Smarty Jones went for the Triple Crown, so it's surely going to pale in comparison to that. But if you compare it to last year's Belmont Stakes, where there was no one in the house, it might have sounded like there were 50, 60, 70,000 people there. Uh, were those that were there excited to be there, and it did it sound like a crowd that was just happy to be back at a major race? I, I think so, Jody. I, I think people were happy to to, to be there, move about fair, you know, freely. You know, concessions and the windows, and there was a new horseman's lounge for those for those folks. And um, the apron was, you know, it wasn't, you know, you weren't, you didn't feel like a sardine packed in there. You had lots of lots of space. You could go up to the rail, watch a race, go to the sort of reduced backyard. You know, we have this new arena uh, back there, so that's. Uh, that takes some of the, the, the space away, but uh, I think they were happy to be there. And then, you know, the stretch drive of the race itself, there were a lot of good finishes yesterday, but the stretch drive of the Belmont itself was, uh, you know, it was pretty awesome. And I think even if there was not, there was not a triple crown on the line, people were, you know, people got into that uh, stretch drive between essential quality and hot rod. Charlie was a great stretch drive. And I do want to get into that, but before we do, I want to ask you this, because I know like you, you like me, you've been going to the racetrack for a long time. Have you ever seen in a race where they've already got eight, nine, ten million? I was watching it uh, at one point as we led up to the race, but I didn't watch it the very minute before they went uh, off. Um, but there was about, uh, I think, nine or ten, eight, nine, ten million in the wind pool. So it's a mega amount to begin with. And the eventual winner and favorite, exclusive quality, dropped from nine to five to six to five in what had to be the last two minutes. It might have been the very last minute before the gates opened up. I've never seen that kind of swing in a pool of that size like yesterday. Have you? 
I, I don't recall um, not, you know, especially in a race like this where there's so much money, as you mentioned, the, the pool is so large that you figure even, uh, you know, if Mattress Mac was betting $2 million on a, on a rate, you know, in the last couple of minutes that it would drop like that. Um, I, it was a pretty, you know, these computer-assisted wagering uh, outlets are, you know, they, they dominate the last couple of flashes. And I guess they looked, I guess their program said this horse should probably be even money. And they did their darndest to get them down as close to even money as they could. They did. And it took money out of my pocket because it sounded like you liked Hot Rod Charlie. I liked exclusive quality. So I'm not uh, bending over <clears throat> and taking a bow for picking a six to five winner. But I did think he was going to win the race. I will give Hot Rod Charlie a ton of credit. Because truth be told, he really shouldn't have been there as long and stayed as well as he did. I don't know if I'd take anything away from him because he was on a, a, a rail that wasn't all that good. But that was just a hell of an effort. I thought his second place finish was almost as good as exclusive qualities win. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, I was a little taken aback by the tactics Flavian Pratt used. I, I know he wanted to be on the lead, but I didn't know he wanted to be on the lead at all costs. Um, he had said after the race that uh, in the Derby, he didn't think his horse was very good at passing horses, which he was correct because he was pretty much third most of the trip around there and couldn't get past the top two. Uh, here, it looked like Rocky World was going to go, and I thought maybe the plan would be, okay, shoot him away from there, but let Rocky World have the lead. But if he's going to have the lead, he's going to have to go too fast to get it. And it, and in the, in essence, Hot Rod Charlie probably went too fast, but he was, you know, game. He was hickory as heck to, uh, you know, to put away Rocky World. And then Essential Quality comes up to him at the five sixteen, you know, between the three eighths and the five sixteenth, and they get into a ding dong battle. And I'm thinking. You know, inside the eighth ball, I'm thinking just essential quality is going to just draw off and win by three, four, five. And that's not the case. Hot Rod Charlie was battling back. And while in the last 16th, it was evident that he wasn't going to win, uh, the fact that he hung in there, got beat a length and a quarter, and finished 11 clear of Rumbauer, uh, you got to take, you got to tip your hat to the, uh, the effort. And, and Doug O'Neill, you know, he, he, put, he has, a ton of faith in Flavian Pratt. He was glad to get Pratt back. Remember, Pratt did ride Rumbauer to victory in Preakness, right. and he was able to get Pratt back on Hot Rod Charlie. And he thought that was, that was a big confidence boost for him. And he said, look, this guy loves this horse, and I'm going to let him do what he wants to do. And I'm sure Doug was like, what are we doing here, 46 and 2? But then he's seeing how game the horse is, and you know, he just ran a, a tremendous race. And, you know, look, go back eight months, and this was the uh, – this was the uh, order finished in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. So it's <laughs> nice to see that those two horses take that form on November 5th-ish, I think, and then on June 5th, do it again. Pretty cool. Yeah, they run one, two in a triple crown race. That is pretty damn impressive for both of those two horses. And if you do know, tell us if not, if you want to speculate, I, I was actually a little surprised because I thought Rombauer's performance in the Preakness, I still believe it's probably the best triple crown performance of any now, he didn't come back and and, and follow it up with uh, what he needed to yesterday. Yeah, he finished third, but a well-beaten third. But just if you look at all the races individually and just go, what was the best performance in any individual race? I would say Ron Bauer in the Preakness. 
and Flavian Pratt decided to ride Hot Rod Charlie yesterday in the Belmont. Uh, I've heard speculation that he had promised Doug O'Neill when he got the mount for the Belmont when Joel Rosario decided to get off him, that Doug offered him the ride and said, yeah, but if you take it here, I'm going to bring this horse back. If we win, we're going right to the Preakness. If not, we'll probably wait for the Belmont. And I'm asking for a commitment for whatever Triple Crown races Hot Rod Charlie participates in. Did you hear the same thing? Uh, I didn't. The way it was explained to me or the way that Doug explained it was uh, the Monday after the Derby, the agent, Brad Pegram, said that we will ride you in the Preakness, in the, in the Belmont. And then when Doug saw that he was riding Rumbauer in the Preakness, he Called him, called him up and said, hey, I see you right, got him out in the Preakness. And the answer was, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We're good. Then he saw that he won the Preakness, and he called him back again. And he said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We're good. So okay. uh, it sounded like from that angle, uh, you know, they were they, – they, they gave the commitment to him before he rode the Preakness, and they stuck to their word, which – uh, you know, O'Neill said that, you know, other agents may not have done so. They would have tried to find a way to wiggle out and say, hey, I won the Preakness. You know, I got to stick with this horse. He's, he's a classic winner. And they they chose to ride Hot Rod Charlie. Okay. Then, uh, yeah, well, my story was a little bit different. Basically the same, that the commitment was there. I was saying that the commitment was something that O'Neill asked for, if not demanded. You're saying that the commitment was just given by uh, Flavian Pratt, and he stuck to it. More more power to him, if that's the case. Um, all right, so where do we go from here? We've got some big races coming up before the three-year-old is out. Three-year-old year is out. The two that always stand out to me are the Haskell and the Travers. Uh, the Haskell seems like it actually could be more interesting because it could involve Bob Baffert horses, which we're pretty sure is not going to be the case in upstate New York at Saratoga because he is still suspended here in New York indefinitely. So let me start there. First question. When do you think, or maybe it should be, do you think New York will put a hard and fast number on how long Bob Baffert is not allowed to bring horses to the Empire State, uh, or do you think they're just going to let this indefinite sit out there? Uh, I'm, I think they will probably come out with a hard and fast number, um, and I, I, whether they tell it to him and don't tell it to the rest of the world, I don't know, but I'm, I'm pretty sure you won't see him in Saratoga, and after Saratoga, there's really not a whole lot for him to come to in the Belmont Fall Meet. He doesn't really come there much Anyway, um, and I think by then the Kentucky Racing Commission will have said, "Okay, this is the for the split sample. This is your penalty. It is whatever it is: sixty days, thirty days, ninety days." And then the, either they honor that and then go, "Okay, you're you can come back after that," or they take a hardened stand like Churchill Downs did and said, "You're not running here for two years." So I think I think they'll keep it as an indefinite until the commission, Kentucky Racing Commission, says what the penalty is. Uh, whenever that comes to be, and I'm sure that will be appealed. But and then if uh, then they might just go say, look, you're, we're we're on board with Churchill Downs, and we're and we're not going to let you enter horses here for two years. Do you think that Kentucky will have now? That of course is where Churchill Downs is, and Churchill Downs has taken its stance. But the Commonwealth of Kentucky also has other tracks there. Keeneland, of course, the big uh, notable one. Um, is there a chance that Baffert's penalty at Churchill will be different than it will be in the state of Kentucky? I, it could be. Uh, again, I think the, the only thing that will be uniform 
and I think not just in Kentucky but elsewhere, will be whatever the amount of days he gets for this, uh, you know, for the, for, for, you know, from the horse racing commission. Everybody else, in terms of like a, a lengthened, a lengthy ban from, you know, not allowing them to enter or stable there, will probably be on a track to track basis. I just don't think that. Uh, you know, so Keeneland, like you said, Keeneland is a track that he might look to run at in the fall, or if not the fall next spring. And and the more maybe perhaps more interesting is I believe the Breeders' Cup is back at Keeneland in 2022. So will that you know uh, if they take a, a hardened suspension, a hardened line as well, then he might not be able to run the Breeders' Cup either uh, next year. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see what these tracks do individually. They may be looking to see what kind of legal action. Uh, Bob takes, if any, uh, against Churchill Downs or against New York, and see what uh, you know how that plays out before they have to make a decision. Because a lot of these tracks, you know, he doesn't run at our track, so we don't have to make a decision. So hopefully he'll give us a head, heads up if he wants to run, and then we can figure out what what to do there. Right, one track that that certainly doesn't apply to, or one state that that doesn't apply to, is California, where he's got his main stable, uh, and he is a mover and a shaker in California racing at Santa Anita, at Del Mar, whatever tracks we're talking about. Um, my guess is that they will not be as harsh <laughs> as Kentucky decided to be after this positive test. How hard, if any, do you think California is going to come down on? Yeah, I don't think they're going to come down on him at all. I think they can. They, they will just honor what the commission says. If you say hey, this is a 15-day suspension, you'll get 15 days. They'll they'll just honor that. But as far as banning him from, if, if put it this way, if California bans him from racing and and entering, he's pretty much finished. Because I don't know, you know, he's not going. He's a California guy. He's gonna. He's not going to just up and leave California and move to New Jersey or Delaware or Maryland or wherever else or Florida. You know, if if California were to come up with that uh, same situation, I think he would probably just leave the game. Understood. All right, as, uh, as, but as, New- uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, as as uh, you know, as crazy as that might sound, I just don't think that he's at the stage of his life is you know ready to leave the state of California. And I don't think he's ready to leave racing either. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Will he be leaving California to come to New Jersey for the Haskell? It's a race here on the East Coast that he's had a ton of success in over the years. New York isn't New Jersey. New Jersey isn't New York. So they can decide themselves for how they want to treat Bob Baffert. He has been good to them, and they've been good to him. Um, If he's got a couple of really good three-year-olds left in his farm, which we know he does— they're going to want to run in some big races, and the Haskell is as good a possibility as any, I would think. Uh, how do you think New Jersey's going to ha- handle Baffert? Uh, I believe New Jersey will let him run if he has a horse to run, and I don't know where he's at right now with Medina Spirit in terms of uh, training him and preparing him for a race. It's uh, We're about, what is it, June 6th, so we're about five, six weeks away from the Haskell on July 17th. Um, if he were to start training and, and you know, picking up the pace in his training. You could probably have him ready for a race like the Haskell. Um, I guess it remains to be seen. The only other state, the only, see the one problem with California uh, as we move forward to the second half of the year, they don't have very many, almost none important races for three-year-olds. Right. So they have the Pacific classic on, um, at Del Mar, the Pacific classic on uh, uh, August 21st, which is for three and up. And, you know, he might potentially get a horse prepared for that race. Uh, but I don't know, you know, as far as him bringing Medina Spirit along, I mean, the horse did have a pretty hard campaign, and uh, I believe he's in training, but I don't think he's hit the work tab yet So uh, since, since the preakness. So we'll have to see where he's at with him. But uh, I think it's possible 
uh, the other race that the other race and then jurisdiction that I think he'd be okay in as a race like the Pennsylvania Derby. I'm sure Parks would allow him to uh, to run there. Uh, the, uh, the Pennsylvania Derby, I believe, is September 25th. Uh, again, a million-dollar race for straight three-year-olds. So that's probably another race that he that would pique his interest. Did Brad Cox hint at anything for either his Belmont winner, Essential Quality, or his soon-to-be Kentucky Derby winner, Mandaloon, as to where they're headed next in their three-year-old campaigns? Yeah, we'll start with Mandaloon. Mandaloon is going to run next Sunday at Monmouth Park in a race called the Pegasus. Uh, it's just their local prep for the Haskell. I believe it's a mile and 16th. I think it's maybe, uh, I'm not sure if it's great. It could be a great three. It's 150,000, and it's just a good spot. Timing-wise, they thought it was a good spot to bring him back in. So, you know, next week on the Jersey Shore, you're going to see a, you know, Kentucky, could see a Kentucky Derby winner. It may take three years before he's actually declared the Kentucky Derby winner, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> he's going to run there as a way to get to the Haskell. Uh, Essential Quality is going to go home to Kentucky for about a month because Kentucky, the Churchill Downs is going to be closing their backside. They're going to do a renovation of their turf course, and they don't want it. They're not going to have any training going on in the summer. They usually, even though they don't race in the summer past June 26, uh, they usually let them stay there, let let horsemen stay there and train. They're not doing that this year, so a lot of guys are going to have to make different plans. Cox will take Essential Quality and some of his good horses to Saratoga. The goal for essential quality is the Travers on August 28th. He just has to decide whether he wants to run them beforehand in a race like the Jim Dandy, which is July 31st, which I, I'm guessing that's what he's going to do because, I, in fact, I told him this. I looked up some – we were talking about this morning. Then I looked up some stats after I talked to him, and then he won the stakes at Belmont this afternoon uh, with the Philly called Astralasia. And I said, hey, look, there's only one horse that I can come up with in the last 20-some-odd years that ran in the Belmont, won it, and then waited to run in the Travers. That was Birdstone. I said, uh, not too many horses try it, and it's probably not the way to go. <laughs> uh, so I would be surprised if he didn't run in the Jim Dandy with essential quality and then come back in the Travers. Mandaloon, to me, his schedule would be, and provided he runs well in these races, would be Haskell, I'm sorry, uh, Pegasus next Sunday, Haskell on the 17th of July, and then the Pennsylvania Derby at the end of September. Well, I'm hoping the Pennsylvania Derby is it, because uh, as uh, it only takes me about – 35 minutes to get to parks. It takes me almost an hour to get to Monument. So I can drive to either one, and I plan on going to uh, maybe all three of the races, but the parks one would be the easiest of them all. Dave, great stuff. Appreciate it whenever you come on. You always lend insight. Uh, thanks much, and uh, glad to have fans back out at the track. I enjoyed watching it. I'm sure you enjoyed being part of it. Thanks for being part of this today. Thanks, Jody. Good to talk to you again, as always. Dave Grenning, if you're any kind of a horse racing fan, you know of his work for the Daily Racing Forum. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.